We're going to be talking about healing and forgiveness this morning. That's what the sketch was leading us into. So if you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 26 this morning. Thank you for that assist here. All right, I'd ask you to keep your Bibles open to that passage. I'm going to read the text as we walk through it in the message this morning. Uh, Luke 5, verses 12 through 26. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, as we bow before you today, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that points to Jesus as our Savior and as the great physician. And today when we look at these texts that are really amazing healing miracles in Scripture, I pray that you would help us to understand what they are about, what they point to, and the work that you can do in our own heart and soul. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the questions that many people ask when bad things happen is why? It happens often, too, when people encounter a physical illness or even a disability. And they wonder, why did this happen? My father died from cancer when he was 72 years old. And he had been a farmer all his life. And one of the questions he wondered about is, was there something I have done? Was it something that I did? Why is this happening to me? And in my dad's case, the truth really was that the type of cancer he had was probably more related to his occupation than anything else. At that time, farmers were using a lot of chemicals, didn't understand all of the protections that should have been taken in that process. And um, looking back on it, uh, actually in those years when he was farming, farming was the second most hazardous occupation next to miners. But Dad wasn't alone in wondering, why did this happen to me? Am I suffering because of my sin? In his book, Partly Right, Tony Campolo talks about that. And he said that self-condemnation and self-contempt can often aggravate an already painful situation. Interviews with cancer victims often reveal that they believe they are being punished. In many cases, they think that God has afflicted them with the disease because they are deserving of pain and suffering. Sometimes people are ashamed to tell others what they're struggling with because they feel that others will think that as well. Cancer is horrible enough without the guilt and self-condemnation that is too often associated with it. Now, it is true that sin is the cause or behind all of our brokenness in this world, but the Bible never says that if you are sick, or if you are disabled, it is because you have sin. For example, in John chapter 9, there was a man who had been blind from birth, and the disciples asked Jesus who sinned. Was it this man's parents, or was it this man himself who sinned that he was born blind? And Jesus responded to them and said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus was correcting something that they had either been taught or that they just sort of assumed. That if something bad happened to you, it's because you had done something bad and were deserving of it. And when Jesus instead said, no, 
that we live in a fallen world and there are times when bad things are going to happen to all of us. But these things have happened that the work of God might be displayed in our life. So what is the connection between sickness and sin? Well, today we're going to look at a couple healing miracles and see what they have to say about it. One of the things we see when we come to Scripture is that sickness is a picture of our spiritual condition. And we see that very clearly in this example of this man who had leprosy. Let me read part of it for us. In verse 12, it says, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, can you make me clean? And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Leprosy was a term in the scripture that could apply to many kind of infectious skin diseases. But here it does seem that it was what we know as Hansen's disease. And leprosy is a very horrible disease. The body's warning system to pain is destroyed, which is often why it resulted in disfigurement of the hands or feet. People didn't feel or couldn't feel hot or cold. They couldn't feel pain. They couldn't feel trauma or injury to their limbs. And so there were times when they would do things that were causing damage and they didn't realize it. And it would result in these kind of open wounds on their hands and feet. In biblical times, it was thought that leprosy was contagious. So if someone was a leper, they would have to shout, unclean, unclean, as they walked and as they came near people. They were supposed to stay 100 cubits away, about 150 feet away from people if they were upwind, and about 4 cubits away if they were downwind. They were typically beggars. Because they couldn't work. They couldn't hold a position or a job. And they would live in isolation. Can you imagine that? How horrible that would be. If they even poked their head into a house just to call in or to want to greet somebody, the house would be considered unclean. And worst of all, people thought that those who had leprosy got it because of some serious personal sin. It's because you're a sinner. That's why God has punished you with this leprosy. But that wasn't true. Lepers weren't the worst sinners at that time. Leprosy instead is a picture of sin and how it affects everything about us. How it affects our life. It affects our work. It affects our relationships. Sin is pervasive. And here was a man who was covered with leprosy, head to toe. It was apparent to everyone that this man was suffering from a horrible disease. And the leper himself, he was unclean and he knew it. And there was nothing that a leper could do to save himself. There was nothing he could do to change his condition, just like there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves from our sin. Lepers were like dead men walking, and so were we before we met Christ. 
So here is this man who has leprosy. He comes to Jesus and he fell before him and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, if you are willing. He didn't doubt Jesus' power. He only doubted his worthiness. He was so ashamed of his condition that he did not feel worthy, but he was desperate. Imagine years and years of being told that you're a sinner. Years and years of being excluded from the community, from family, from everybody that you knew and once loved. And you're just feeling like the lowest of the low. What did Jesus do? He reached out his hand and he touched the man. He touched him. I mean, that was unthinkable. That would mean that Jesus would be unclean too. I mean, if you touched a leper, it wasn't just the leper who was unclean. You were unclean. But that's what Jesus did. That's why Jesus entered our world. It's why he became a man to take upon himself our sin. He identified with us so completely. But I think about this man. How long had it been since he had been touched? Can you imagine how that felt to him, that Jesus would put his hand on him? I think of an elderly man whose wife had died, and he would get his hair cut every three weeks just to feel another person's touch. We long for that. We long for that kind of warmth that comes from another person's touch. And then to remove any doubt about his worthiness, Jesus said to him, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. What we need more than anything in our life is the master's touch. We need him to place his hand upon us. Mark Buchanan has written a book called Your Church is Too Safe. And in it, he tells the story about a Russian pastor who lived in the late 19th century. His name was John Sergeyev. And it was a time when the cities of Russia were dirty, filthy places. Imperial Russia was decadent. It was rotting from within. Its streets were dangerous, rife with poverty and depravity. Crime, alcoholism, prostitution, all of those things were part of it. And there were places in the city where people, at least good people, just wouldn't go. But Father John was not like that. He would put on his robe. He would walk down into the streets of those dark alleys and streets. And he would find someone who was there in the gutter or lying in the street. And he would pick them up. And he would take their hand, take their face in his large hands and he would look them in the eye. And he would say that this is beneath your dignity. You were made to house the glory of the living God. You know, he's picking up on what it says in Corinthians. That when we know Christ, our body is a temple of the living God. You were created for something more. You have worth and dignity. 
And in his lifetime, Father John was called the pastor of all Russia. And everywhere he went, lives were changed by the hope of the gospel. What we see in this text is that Jesus has the power to heal and to restore. And we see that in verses 14 and following. It said, then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And so he did. Jesus ordered this man to go back to the priest again to show that he had been cleansed and so he could be fully restored to the community. And in order to do that, uh, he had to see his priest, someone who would know him, who would certify that he was now healed. And there was a special ceremony that took place over eight days that was performed before his family, friends, people in the community as witnesses. It's a ceremony that's found in Leviticus 14. Now, we aren't going to go there, but I'm going to explain to you what took place. I thought about asking for a volunteer, you know, so I could kind of sprinkle some blood on you and do the whole ceremony here, but I, I think I'll just explain it. What they would do is this man would come who was a leper, and he would come to the priest, and he would examine his body to make sure that there was no infectious disease on his body. And again, like I said, leprosy was a term that was broad, could be used for any kind of infectious skin disease, including leprosy. So he goes, the priest is convinced that he is now clean. And so what he would do is that outside of the camp, outside of the walls of the city, he would take two turtle doves. And one of those doves would be killed. And it would be killed over a clay pot that's over clean water. And the blood would be drained. And that blood would be used as a part of this sacrifice. That blood would then be taken and the person would be sprinkled with that blood and the other dove that was alive would be taken. And the blood would be put upon that dove and he would be released, a symbol of freedom and cleansing. And so this man was now free to return to the community of believers. And then on that eighth day, he would come and he was to bring three lambs that would be offered as representative of his sin and his cleansing. A guilt offering, a sin offering, and a burnt offering. It would cover all of the offerings that he had been unable to do while he was unclean. And then the priest would take some of the blood and he would do something that to us may seem a little bit Odd. Maybe you've read this before when you've read through Leviticus. He would take some of the blood and he would put it on the right lobe of the ear, the right thumb, and the right big toe. And you look at that and you go, well, what was that about? I mean, the same thing had been done for the priests when they were dedicated in their ceremony before the Lord. What is that all about? Well, blood was put on the ear. Because our ears were made so that we might hear the word of God. And blood was put on our hands because our hands are to serve the living God. And blood was put on our feet because our feet are given so that we might walk with God. And think about that. 
Think about that picture. I mean, just, just take and touch your own right ear and think about that. Your ears were made so that you might hear the word of God. And look at your hands. Your hands were made so that you might serve the living God. And think about your feet, that our feet were given to us so that we might walk in his ways, that we might serve the Lord. It was a beautiful ceremony. It was a joyous celebration, not only for that individual, for the family, as they were restored to fellowship with the people of God. You know, the rabbis at that time thought that leprosy, that healing a leper would be like raising the dead. It was a miracle. And it was a miracle that they believed that the Messiah would do. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus directed this individual to go to the priest so that his healing could be verified. But not everyone was pleased with it. We go on in this text and what we read is that the news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He made that his habit and continued it. And one day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had uh, come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. So here's Jesus. And one day he is going to be teaching and there's this sort of investigative committee that has come to check him out. Pharisees, teachers of the law, from every village in Galilee and now from Judea and Jerusalem. I mean, that's where the real authorities were who had come out to see who this man is. And is he a real rabbi or is he some fraud? The Pharisees were a self-appointed religious party who considered themselves guardians of the law and its correct interpretation. They numbered around, around 6,000 individuals. Most of the teachers of the law were also Pharisees. Some were not. And this is the first time that they are mentioned in Luke. And we're going to see this rising opposition that comes. But on this particular occasion, Luke tells us that there were some men who came to Jesus carrying their friend who was paralyzed. Mark in his gospel tells us that there were four of them. And so we read a little bit farther in the text that the power of the Lord was present on Jesus for him to heal the sick. And some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of of Jesus. Now think about that. I mean, in those days, uh, homes often had a flat roof. Could be covered with tiles or thatch. There was usually a layer of, you know, kind of thatch and mud that was built up. Maybe there were tiles over it. But there was usually a stairway on the outside that people could take to go up to this flat part of the roof. And sometimes it was used like a patio. People would go up there and sit and enjoy that. Other times they just went up to do some work on the roof. But these men were not going to be denied. They couldn't get to Jesus through the front door because of the crowds. 
And so they went up on this roof and they started to remove the tiles and dig through the roof. I mean, can you imagine that? On the one side, what does that say about their love for their friend? They were desperate. They wanted their friend to be healed. And they wouldn't be denied. But can you imagine also what's going on in the room below? I mean, here's, here's dirt and dust dropping down. I mean, people are probably backing away. Jesus had to stop his teaching. There's noise and commotion. People are kind of whispering, who are these guys? What do they think they're doing? Somebody should stop them. You know, and all of a sudden, this man is lowered on his mat into the room before Jesus. And in my mind, I can imagine this kind of silence that fell over the room. And everyone is wondering, what is Jesus going to do? There's this pregnant pause. There is this look to Jesus. And Jesus breaks the silence by looking at him and saying, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. It wasn't what those friends wanted to hear. I mean, they wanted to hear Jesus say, you're healed, you're well, get up, you can walk. It wasn't what they were expecting. I mean, they wanted physical healing. Why would Jesus say your sins are forgiven? It is because the greatest need we have is for spiritual healing. Jesus wasn't saying that his sin was the cause of his paralysis. What Jesus was doing was he was addressing the greater need. Because what good would it do if this man was healed physically, but his heart was still full of sin? And sometimes people get that turned around just like that sketch we were looking at this morning where people try to fill that hole in their heart with all kinds of stuff, things that this world offers that can kind of medicate the pain or the loneliness or the isolation or the frustration or the disappointments or the hurts. And they're trying to fill it with all kinds of stuff, thinking if we just had this, we'll be okay. And Jesus makes this statement, your sins are forgiven. And with those Pharisees sitting there, it was a provocative statement. If you think the man's friends were shocked, think of how the Pharisees are feeling because this is blasphemy. Let me read it for you in verse 21. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Jesus knew what they were thinking. 
He knew that they would question his authority to forgive sins. And so he made that statement, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. You know, both truthfully are easy to say and impossible to do. Who can forgive sins? Who can heal a paralyzed man? I mean, they're both impossible. It's just the one is easier to disprove. And so Jesus said that you might know that I have the authority to forgive sins. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. It was a miracle. And this man's healing shows that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, and by implication, it was showing that Jesus is God. Very early in his ministry, we see these signs that are pointing and evidence to who he is. Because the greater miracle here was the miracle of forgiveness. It is deeper. It is more lasting. It is eternal. In fact, for each of us, the greatest miracle in our life, if you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, the greatest miracle was when you placed your trust in Jesus and were born again by the Holy Spirit. You passed from death to life. It is the greatest miracle of all. And everyone was amazed. I mean, they said, we have seen remarkable things today. I like how the NIV translates that. It puts the word today at the end of the sentence just like it is in Greek. It is there for emphasis. It is there to emphasize that the messianic kingdom has broken into our world. It's just like what... um, Jesus said when in Luke 4, he was beginning his ministry, he took the scroll of Isaiah, he began to read it about the things that the Messiah would do, and he said to them that today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Messiah is here. You're looking at him. And it was a staggering pronouncement. And here again in the scripture, Luke is emphasizing what the people are feeling Filled with awe, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. The kingdom of God has broken into our world. So what is this connection between sickness and sin? Well, sicknesses like leprosy are a picture of our spiritual condition. Again, it affects every part of our body and everything that we do. And we are powerless to heal ourselves. We need the master's touch. And when you think about that with our sin, I mean, sin affects our relationships. It breaks our fellowship with God. Sin uh, results in spiritual death because of that. Uh, Sin affects our relationships with people. It affects even our relationship with ourselves. And when we come to Jesus, what do we find? We find that only Jesus is the power to heal and to restore. And he is willing and able to do that. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He offers his salvation to all who will call upon him in faith, who will humble themselves and admit their need for a Savior. He is compassionate. 
He reaches out and he touches us. He reaches out and he identifies with us in our weakness and sin. And yet he himself is without sin. The greatest miracle of all is spiritual healing, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life in Christ. And have you received that gift? Have you opened your heart to him? If not, you could do that today. You could turn to him and ask Jesus to forgive your sins and to come into your life and be your Savior and Lord. And he will do that. In the movie, Amazing Grace, there's a scene where William Wilberforce is meeting with John Newton, his old friend. And you know John Newton as the writer of Amazing Grace, that great hymn. But John Newton is near the end of his life. He is an old pastor who has been a counselor to William Wilberforce as he has been battling to end slavery in Britain. And Wilberforce had once made a visit to Newton where he had asked Newton to give an account of his slave ship days. Newton had once been a captain of a slave ship prior to his conversion to Christ. And Wilberforce thought it would be useful to have a record of that, but Newton, prior to this time, had not wanted to do it. His experience in the 20,000 ghosts haunted him too greatly. But now as Wilberforce was making progress in Parliament to end the slave trade, he came to visit Newton one more time and he discovers that he has recorded his account. His eyesight is now gone and Newton says to Wilberforce, you must use it. The names, the records, the ship records, the ports, the people, everything I remember is in here. And although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. How true that is, and how good is that news that Jesus was willing to identify with us and to take upon himself our sins to be our Savior. Praise his name. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I thank you that whatever the condition of our heart, that there is hope and healing and forgiveness that can come when we turn to Jesus. And Jesus, we stand in awe of you. We are amazed by your grace that you would be willing to take upon yourself our sins to pay the penalty that we deserve. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you have done. And we want to live our lives fully for your honor and glory. Would you help us to do that by your Spirit's power? And would we remember from this day that our ears were made so that we could hear your word? That our hands were made so that we could glorify and serve you? And that our feet were made that we could walk in all your ways? And may we do that with joy and gratitude in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we close?